Thanks for joining us in our study of the letter to the Galatians. It is in this scripture we're reminded that the gospel is the A to Z of the Christian life. The truth of the gospel, that Jesus is better, should change our thinking and approach to absolutely everything. Cornerstone exists to proclaim and demonstrate Christ in all of life so as to make people perfect in him. Okay, go ahead, turn to Galatians chapter 5. It's page number 974. While you're turning, you're also going to have to turn to John chapter 14. And you will need to be in both. So find one, hold your place, go to the other. We'll start in Galatians and we'll go to John, John 14. That's page number 901. If you're going to use one of the Bibles there in in the seat in front of you. Today is part three of a three-part sermon on what it means uh, to walk in the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. So we're going to read Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26. Go to the Lord in prayer like we do each week. If you will, please then, if you're there, go ahead and look at verse 16. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's pray. Father, we come now and we do ask your blessing on our time this morning in your word. Spirit, we do need you to be active in our hearts, helping us understand your truth. Uh, We want to be like Christ. We want to be made more and more into his image, but we recognize that this is not something we can do on our own. If you don't do this, It's not going to happen. And so I pray this morning we will be reminded of how it is you work, what it is you do, Spirit, how you relate to Christ, and then how we can go forward here and live a biblical and fruitful life. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, before we uh, review where we left off last Sunday, I want to begin by making sure we all understand a particular type of business relationship. And this would be the relationship between one business and another business that it may enter into some kind of a contract with in order to perform some task, whatever task uh, they might want. So, for example, one of the most common areas you see this in is in the world of construction. Uh, You do realize, I assume, that uh, if you ever are in a neighborhood where someone's building a house and you see a sign up front that says, this home being built by whoever, it's not really being built by that company, right? That company is going to hire a whole bunch of other companies to come in and and build the house for them. They're going to manage the process, and, and so on and so forth. So if it's Acme Home Builders, for example, uh, you know, Acme Home Builders isn't going to come in and pour a foundation. They're going to hire Dream Home Foundations or whatever to come in and pour it, right? And then when they're gone, they're going to hire 
Joe's Framing LLC to come in and frame out the house and, and so on and so forth, whether that's electrical, plumbing, drywall, you name it, all of those things are handled by someone else. Uh, Acme sign may be up front, but when the van pulls up for the framers, it's a Joe's Framing van, right? And the guys who get out are wearing some Joe's Framing t-shirts, right? That's what they do because it's their own company. They represent themselves. That's just how that process works, all right? Tug that away for a few minutes. We're going to come back to it shortly. Uh, as I said a moment ago, we're in part three now of a three-part sermon series on trying to understand what it means when Paul says that we're supposed to walk by the Spirit. And if you've not been here for either of the first two parts, one or both, uh, I would really encourage you to go to our website and download those, stream those, because you may be a little lost today without them. Uh, by way of just a very brief review... We know that now, whatever it means when Paul says walk by the Spirit, this is a constant everyday thing, right? We've driven that one home, I hope. Uh, it's not just a special moment, you know, occasional kind of thing. This is supposed to be a normal aspect of the routine, mundane, ordinary parts of our lives. It's for all of life. So right now, as you are sitting in this room listening, uh, you should be walking by the Spirit as you sit here, just so you know. Uh, last week, we asked a couple of questions. We said, does the Spirit live within us? And then I follow that up with, does Jesus live within us? Is it one? Is it the other? Is it both? How does that work? And what I pointed out to you last time was that as you begin thinking through either of those questions very deeply, you begin to realize that those questions are not separate, right? You, as you start tugging on one of those threads, you start pulling the other one along with it, just by default, the two go together, two sides of the same coin. And the passage that we turn to to see that in very vivid detail was Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. Because in that passage, Paul continually like flip-flops back and forth between saying the Spirit lives within us and Christ lives within us and the Spirit lives within us. And so you've got this back and forth as if these two ideas are somehow interchangeable or if they're complementary to one another. And the, the thing, the idea that tied those uh, two ideas together was Paul's reference in verse 9 to the Spirit of Christ. Do you remember that? We talked about the Spirit of Christ. And I pointed out that a lot of times when we talk about the Spirit, we're comfortable with referring to the Spirit as God's Spirit, or the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, or just the Spirit. Any four of those phrases are very comfortable, very familiar to us. You start talking about Jesus' Spirit, or the Spirit of Christ, and people are kind of like, what? That sounds a little different than what I'm used to hearing. We don't normally use those words that way. And yet, as you look through the New Testament, you find it's actually not a strange way to refer to the Spirit. Multiple times in the New Testament, the writers refer to the Spirit as being the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, etc. In fact, Paul does that here in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. It's a very uh, Trinitarian reference. He says, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart. So you've got God the Father sending the Spirit of his Son into your hearts. And based on that truth, then, uh, Paul says that we too are now sons. So because the Spirit of God's Son is within us, we are counted as sons. We can cry out, Abba, Father, like Jesus cries out. So these are not separate ideas. There, there's a real practical theological connection between the idea of the Spirit's indwelling work and Jesus's indwelling work as well, connected ideas. That was kind of one of the big points. Um, but how are they connected, right? That's that's where we left off last time. How does this work? How should we understand the connection between the Spirit and Christ? And so this is our question today. And I tried to help you a little bit uh, to be able to prepare yourself both for today's message and to answer that question for yourself by giving you a homework assignment. And I will not, for my own heart's sake, ask who did it. Okay, I don't want to know, so don't tell me. Uh, I, I told you I want you to go home. I want you to read John 14 through 16, and I want you to do two things. 
first, I wanted you to find every reference that Jesus gives in that passage to the Holy Spirit. So every time he starts talking about the Spirit, I just wanted you to note it just so you could see them all. There's multiple throughout the passage. And then second, I wanted you to pay attention to any connection between or relationship between what Jesus says about the Spirit's work and himself. Okay, so you were looking for anything that Jesus tells us that the Spirit's going to do and how that points back to, to Jesus. So that was your second part of that little homework assignment. Now, if you did that homework assignment, um, I'm pretty sure you're going to get some extra crowns in heaven. Don't quote me on that. I can't guarantee it, but I think it's possible, maybe. Uh, and if you didn't do it, well, I could say worse, but I'll just say you're in luck because we're going to do it together this morning. Uh, you just don't get any extra crowns. Got it? All right. Just make sure that's clear. Turn to John 14 now. You should have it open. And we'll begin by remembering the context, because as I have said many times up here, context is key. This is always where we start in Bible study. We have to understand where we are at. And here, as you should know pretty well, Jesus is uh, on his way to the cross. That's the context. John 13 is the Last Supper. John 13:30 is where Judas leaves the upper room, which means then that everything from John 13, verse 31, to John 16, verse 33, represents Jesus' final conversation with the disciples. I've shared that with you before. And as I have also shared with you before, I find it normally to be very significant when you find out that someone's having a final conversation. Typically, when people are in those moments and in those contexts, they, they talk about important things, significant things. And so that's what's happening here. This is Jesus' final conversation with the disciples. And that's not to say then that somehow this is a more important passage or a more significant conversation than any of the other conversations he had with the disciples. I don't mean that at all. But as I read it, though, knowing the context, it does provide a little extra weight, a little extra gravity and significance to what's going on here, because this is the last chance that Jesus is going to have to talk with them before the cross, which means then that he is trying to prepare them both for what is about to happen and then for what life is going to look like after it happens. Right? So it sort of has two two general focuses throughout the course of the conversation. All right, you got it? That's the context. Uh, here in these three chapters, there are three different sections where Jesus talks to the disciples about the coming of the Spirit. There's one section in each of the three chapters, and we're going to just walk through them one at a time. So first, you're in John 14. You'll see the first one here in verses 15 to 26. And I'm not going to put all of this behind me, so you need to be looking at your text. It begins in verse 16 when Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Okay, so right there at the very end, you see Jesus make a specific reference to the fact that the Spirit is going to dwell within us, right? He says it, point blank, it's going to happen, so get ready for it. Uh, outside of that, there's no specific comment made in these two verses that would connect the Spirit's work to Jesus, but he's not done yet. He continues talking about the Spirit's work in verse 25, and there he says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, there are two things said here 
that directly connect the Spirit's work back to the person of Jesus Christ. First, Jesus says that the Father will send the Spirit in his name. Okay, so you see that there behind me, in his name. And what does it mean to say that he's going to send the Spirit in the name of Jesus? Is that a significant comment? Well, the answer is yes, that is significant, because when, I don't have time to fully elaborate on this, but when someone is sent in the name of someone else, they represent that person. They're sent on their behalf. You know, if I've ordered something at, at the store and I send you in my name to go get that thing, in theory, you should be able to walk up to the counter with whatever proof I gave and say, hey, I'm in the name of Stacy Potts to, to retrieve said package. That's how you would word it too, by the way. So I'm here to retrieve said package and they would hand it to you because you're there in my name. You're there on my behalf. You're representing me. And so here, as Jesus is saying this, he's making the point that the Spirit is coming to represent on behalf of Christ. So that's the first comment. Second, Jesus says that the Spirit is going to teach the disciples all things and bring to their remembrance all that Jesus has said to them. Now, when I read this, I take this as a comment that is very specific to the disciples. Okay, It's not like I don't read it as being for all of us because there's never been a moment in my Christian life where instantly I've known all the words of Jesus perfectly, okay? Maybe you have and I'm just deficient, I don't know. But, but I, would, I would see this as being specific to the disciples. I'd go further still and say that I think it's specific to their role in the writing of Scripture. If we just use John's example here in this letter, uh, we think this letter was written somewhere around A.D., let's say late 80s to early 90s. So you're talking 50 to 60 years after the conversation that you're reading about here took place. So how does John, 50 to 60 years later, remember three plus chapters of conversation? Just, I mean, is he like an amazing, well, he might be an amazing intellect, an amazing memory, I don't know, but I also know what Jesus says here, that the Spirit would bring all this to their minds, cause them to be able to remember all the things that he had said to them, and so... I think, you know, here you go. This is part of how we understand the process of biblical inspiration to work. The Spirit guides the writer, bringing to mind the things that need to be uh, written and here very specifically bringing back to their minds all that Jesus has said to him. So I think that comment's important for them. Uh, And yet, I would recognize that in the first two examples, we've already seen something in common between the two, and that is that both of them have some reference point back to Christ. You know, the first one, the Spirit's coming in his name, on his behalf. And the second one, one of the Spirit's jobs is to bring back to the minds, I think, of the disciples all that Jesus had said to them through those three years. And so that's a trend. Let's see if that trend continues. The second section where Jesus discusses the Spirit is found in chapter 15, verses 26 and 27. This is a short one. Verse 26 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness uh, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, obviously, the sentence we're focused on is found in verse 26. And again, I'd point out there are two specific comments here that seem to draw our attention to a connection between the Spirit and Christ. First, Jesus says that he will send the Spirit. Well, back in chapter 14, he said the Father would send the Spirit, right? So which is it? Is the Father sending the Spirit? Or is the Son sending the Spirit? The answer is yes, okay? (laughs) Father and Son together send the Spirit in Jesus' name. So that's that's an easy one. Second, notice what the Spirit comes to do. He comes to bear witness about Jesus. And even though this may be obvious, 
Can I just point out to you what Jesus didn't say here? Sometimes it's helpful to recognize what's not said as much as it's helpful to recognize what is. Um, here's what Jesus didn't say. He did not say that the Spirit comes to bear witness, witness about the Spirit. He did not say that the Spirit comes to bear witness about the church, not the church in general or any church specifically. He didn't say that he came to bear witness about the disciples or about a movement or about a revival or a preacher or a ministry or a school or a set of abilities. Just random thoughts, totally without purpose or meaning for anything else. Just things that popped in my head. I just want to make it clear to us that when the Spirit comes, he comes per Jesus to bear witness about Jesus. This is what he's doing. He wants to bear witness to who Jesus is, and so the Spirit who comes from Jesus in the name of Jesus, representing Jesus, is coming to bear witness about Jesus. Are you beginning to pick up any kind of a trend in this at all? So his emphasis so far pretty consistently about Jesus. Everybody see that? Uh, one more section, and then this little study will be done here. John 16, now, verses 5 to 15. And there's a number of things here. Again, I won't put them all on the screen. Uh, first, you see Jesus' comment here in verse 7 that I've mentioned to you in the past, that it is better for him to go away so that he can send the Spirit to us. And I have freely admitted that, you know, if I was put in a situation where Jesus said, look, I'm going to give you a choice. Either I can stay with you 24-7 by your side. You can talk to me. We can interact. You can ask questions. I'll help you. Or I'll send the Spirit to live within you. Which would you choose? Like, I, I, would, choose, I would choose Jesus right next to me. That's my honest answer if I was given that choice. And yet, I see here that Jesus says it's better the other way around. So something's wrong with me. I mean, I, I admit that. Something's wrong with me that I, I feel that because... Jesus and I can't both be right, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's probably him who's right, okay? Just for the record, uh, something must be wrong with my thinking if I think it would be better that he's here. That's not what Jesus says. Second, notice what Jesus says the Spirit does here. He convicts the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. And at least with the first two of those, you see it in verses 9 and 10, he connects those back to himself and those functions of the Spirit worldwide. It's in relation to sin, it's because they don't believe in me. Jesus says. In relation to righteousness, it's because I'm going back to the Father. So in both of these kind of general, uh, large-scale activities of the Spirit, you see again them pointing back to Christ. We don't have time to delve into those this morning, but just notice it for the moment. But the grand finale, the, the big section here in chapter 16 is verses 12 through 15. Jesus says in verse 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now again, let's just draw our attention to a couple of these comments here. He, he begins by saying that, the Spirit doesn't speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he speaks. Well, hears from who? Well, if you look down at verse 15, you realize that the Spirit is speaking the truth of Jesus. So the Spirit, he, the Spirit, it will take what is mine, that's Jesus's, and declare it to you. The, the truth that the Spirit imparts is not just his own truth. It's the truth of Jesus. He's Again, focusing all of that revelatory activity, the speaking authority of the Spirit back to Christ. 
Next, in continuing that thought, he says he will glorify Jesus because he will take what is Jesus's and declare it to us. So that's obviously partially what I just said a moment ago, so I won't address the second part of that again. But I will just note in the first part there what he's coming to do. He's coming to glorify Jesus. And again, I'd like to point out what he doesn't say. He doesn't say that the Spirit comes to glorify the Spirit or him, uh, the disciples or the church, either specifically or in general. He doesn't come to glorify a movement, a revival, a preacher, a ministry, a school, a set of abilities, and most notably us. Not what the Spirit comes to glorify. The Spirit comes to glorify Jesus, and he does that according to these verses here by communicating Jesus' truth to us. So that's it. You went through all three chapters. Very good. So what did we learn from that little exercise? Well, I, you know, I can't speak for you, but I can tell you what I learn is that Jesus is pretty consistent in telling us that the Spirit's role and work is connected to and focused on him, his person and his truth. In other words, and if you like to write notes or you're taking notes, here are your three notes you should write down from today. You don't have to pull out a pen if you're not. People always feel guilty when I say that, so just helping you out. Uh, three comments. One, the Spirit does not come on his own accord to represent himself, but to represent Christ. He doesn't come on his own accord to represent himself. He comes to represent Christ. Number two, the Spirit doesn't come to speak on his own authority, but to speak on behalf of Christ. So not speaking on his own authority, speaking on behalf of Christ. And number three, the Spirit doesn't come to draw attention to or glorify himself, but to draw attention to or glorify Christ. So not drawing attention to himself, glorifying himself, drawing attention to and glorifying Christ three comments. And let's be very, very clear about those three, and I hope I don't, you know, I hope I haven't come across as pugnacious or anything in any of this, but um, th those three statements are not me just trying to make a point to you. That is a systematic theology of the Spirit taken directly from the lips of Jesus. It is. This is just, I took his truth, what he's saying, and I'm just writing it in sentence form for you to, to understand. So if you have any issue with it, please don't take it up with me. Talk to him. Okay, I'm not, not my thing. Um, according to Jesus, the Spirit's focus is on Jesus. Now, um, I'm going to ask a rhetorical question. Please do not answer out loud, all right? I will be the only one who answers out loud. You know, as you think about the conversations that you've had with other believers, and I don't, again, mean to be disparaging at all, just thinking out loud, is this how every Christian thinks about and talks about the work of the Spirit? That it's always pointed back to Jesus, well, the answer to that question is, is no, not in my experience, maybe in yours. Maybe you've, you've never run into it. I have run into many experiences or many people who have not talked about the Spirit in that way. In my experience, there are far too many believers out there who seem to view the Spirit as being basically like a third-party contractor that the Godhead uses to come out and do certain things for the church occasionally. They would never say that. Okay, I'm trying to create an analogy in my own mind to help me kind of process what I, I interact with. But that seems to be, you know, kind of how they talk about him functioning. You know, he kind of shows up in his own van, wearing his own shirt, doing his own thing, being his own little, you know, person. He seems to be in the way they talk about him and speak of his actions as being practically unconnected to Jesus. And so you'll have these preachers out there and these churches and denominations and movements sometimes 
that talk a lot about the Spirit, and they use the Spirit to exalt and glorify a whole lot of things, most notably themselves, but almost never Christ. Um, Here's a little tip for you today. And if you remember nothing else from this message, nothing else, remember this one little tip. If you run into Christians, churches, preachers, whatever, okay, and they talk a lot about the Spirit but never exalt Christ, something's wrong. Something's wrong. I'm not, I'm not down on talking about the Spirit. That's great. But if they've got a disconnect between the Spirit and Jesus going on, something's wrong. Seriously wrong. Because as you look through the New Testament, you do not find that disconnect. You find those two ideas, <laughs> they are connected intimately. They don't get separated. You, know, you look through the book of Acts, and in the book of Acts, there's tons of amazing, spectacular manifestations of the Spirit, right? And, and what do you see the apostles doing whenever you see these kinds of manifestations? They glorify Jesus. They preach Christ, right? It points back to the gospel. It points back to Jesus. And, and does everyone in the New Testament, everyone in the book of Acts, as they're watching these amazing manifestations happen, do they always get that? No. And so there's a couple of examples where, where people watch the amazing work of the Spirit and they don't somehow understand that it's meant to glorify Christ. One of those, a favorite of mine, is uh, good old Simon the magician, Acts chapter 8. You know, he's, he's a big shot in his town, Everybody is afraid of him or thinks he's something special because he's got all these powers or whatever he does, his little tricks. And uh, Peter and Philip come to town. And they start preaching the gospel. And people start getting saved. Even Simon the magician makes profession of faith in Christ. And Peter and Philip are going around and they're laying hands on people and they're receiving the Spirit. And and Simon sees this and he's like, man, I want in on that game. Like, (laughs) I got to get me some of that power right there. And so, you know, because for him, I'm sure in his perspective, he's thinking, you know, this, I was a big guy. I was important, and now I'm nothing. But look what Peter and Philip, they've got real power. I should get that. So he goes up to them, and he's like, how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> I love these. I can buy this. 50 bucks, 100 bucks, what you want? You know, what do we got to get to get the power of the Spirit so I can pass it out? And, um, you know, Peter, Peter is so great. Peter always responds with such gentle care and loving, you know, He's just so good. Here's his response to Simon when Simon offers to buy it for money. He says, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Very calm and loving as always with Peter, right? I mean, He's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you want to use the Spirit to glorify yourself? Because that was basically what Simon was asking. He wants the power. He wants to be like Peter and Philip. He wants to be a big man again. You want to use the Spirit to glorify yourself? You don't understand what you just asked. He accuses them of a lot of things. There. Look, folks, the, the Spirit isn't some like magic pony that you know, like God gives to do these amazing tricks for us. That's how some Christians talk about it. That's how some Christians treat it, but it's not. He is not here to glorify you or to draw attention to you. If he's not here to draw attention to himself or glorify himself, why would you ever think he would draw attention to you? The Spirit exalts Christ, and any work of the Spirit that does not exalt Christ is immediately suspect. 
Just understand that. Any work of the Spirit that does not exalt Christ is immediately suspect. Which means then, as we come back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, to live your life every moment of every day by the Spirit, based on all that we just saw in John 14, 15, 16, means that you're going to be living every moment of every day so that the person and truth of Jesus is exalted in you. That's it. <laughs> and when I read this, walk by the Spirit, I, I, I don't read it as some mysterious and mystical thing as if Paul's trying to confuse us or like leave us scratching our head. I wonder what that's supposed to look like or be. I, I don't think that's his point at all. I read it as what I just said, as living every moment of every day so that the person and truth of Jesus is exalted in us. Now, is that something I just like wake up in the morning and it's on my to-do list? I'm going to brush my teeth today and I'm going to take the car in front of oil change and I'm going to be like Jesus, you know? Like I just naturally can just work that one out on my own? No. <laughs> no. I can't work that out on my own. That's the problem, right? That's the whole problem with it. I can't do it on my own. There is nothing good in me. So do you know what I need? I need what Paul talks about here in chapter 2, verse 20. I told you last week that I think this verse, this idea here, is, is directly connected into these ideas. I need Christ to live his life through me by the power of the Spirit. Please note, I don't need help. To, to say I need help, and I'm not picking on our language, because I know we all pray that sometimes, and I, please, just I'm not picking on your language, but but to say I need help implies that maybe I could do it if someone just came and supported me, you know? Someone just gave me that little push. Maybe I could get it. No, no, no. I don't need help. I need to die. That's the only way. I need to die. Isn't that what Paul says here? I was crucified with Christ. I die. Nevertheless, miracle of miracles... I live, yet not I, it's Christ who lives in me. The life I live now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. I, I need to die. And we'll get into this a little bit more later here in chapter 5, so I won't develop it too much now. But just note that this is part of what it means to have been crucified with Christ and yet to still be able to live through his Spirit. It means then that Jesus is going to live his life out through us, and that's going to begin to have some practical ramifications for what I don't do and what I do. Does it sound like where we're headed in Galatians 5? Right? It's going to start to show itself. It can't help but show itself. If Jesus is living his life out through us, well, unless you were something I don't expect you to be before you met him, uh, your life's going to change. Things, some things are going to end. Some things are going to start. We'll get into that more next time. Just recognize for today, the Spirit is not a third-party contractor that's here to perform tasks in his own name. If this is how you think of the Spirit, I know you would never say that, but if that's how you practically tend to think of the Spirit working, you need to stop that because the Spirit is none other than the Spirit of Christ given to enable and empower us to live every moment of every day so that the person and truth of Jesus is exalted in our lives. And if we live like that, we view the Spirit like that, then I think we will be on our way to a biblical and fruitful Christian life. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, we come now because we recognize 
We can't do this. We can't. I, there is nothing good in us that would enable any of us to be able to go out of here and live the, the crucified, buried, and risen life of Jesus on a consistent basis. It's just not in us. There's nothing good in us. We don't need help. Every one of us needs to die. Die to ourself so that you can live in and through us by the power of your Spirit. This is supernatural. This is miraculous. It may not always show itself in the most crazy and amazing ways, but just because it's happening in the mundane and the ordinary doesn't, doesn't mean it's any less miraculous and spectacular. The fact that any of us get up in the morning and we don't just dive directly into a life of sin is nothing short of a miracle. The fact that any of us can gather this morning and love one another despite all of our many differences is nothing short of a miracle. And my fear, Lord, is for many of us, we have been so influenced by our culture, our Christian culture, to, to somehow view the Spirit's work as being only in this amazing, spectacular realm that, that we've never stopped to really connect it back to the life of Jesus that is supposed to be lived out through us every moment of every single day. And so I pray, Lord, that through these very weak messages, you will remind us of this truth or teach us this truth. Help us to go out and begin living this truth, not in our own power just to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, but to remind ourselves that we have to die. Every day, we have to die. Every day, we're dependent on the Spirit. Every day, we're dependent on the life of Christ. And Jesus, if you do not live your life through us, we have nothing. All we have is you, like we sang earlier. That's it. Nothing else. And hallelujah for that truth, because you are more than enough. So remind us, encourage us, compel us, and then empower us to go out from here and by your Spirit, live your life out. Be the hands and feet of Jesus across Hampton Roads in the everyday, in the mundane, all week long, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more sermons on the book of Galatians and further information on Cornerstone Bible Church, please visit cbcvirginia.com.